You're listening to Pastor Jesse Miller of City Lights Church. This is Proverbs chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, and then we're going to jump to verses 20 and 22. Verses starting at verse 6, Proverbs 2. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. Verse 20 through 22. So you will walk in the way of goodness and keep to the paths of righteousness. For the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. If you're visiting, we are in this series where we're talking about wisdom, and I won't do a full recap. Uh, We do have podcasts that are available, so if you'd like to catch up on our current series, uh, Understanding and Hearing the Voice of Wisdom, you can do that at citylightschurch.net. Find our podcast. It takes you to iTunes. You download it for free. It's for you. So there you go. You can recap yourselves. So is that a a phrase, recap yourselves? That's kind of weird, right? Um, But no, I'm, I'm excited this morning. We're coming to the end here, a little bit of this, what is God speaking to us about wisdom? And Bob read those verses, Proverbs chapter 2. Um, they really struck me um, because it talks about he's a shield to those who walk in integrity. And then we see again, and those with integrity will remain in it. And Proverbs is written by Solomon, who has asked God for wisdom, and he was the wisest man to ever live on the earth. And we see his kingdom just explode with wealth, with wisdom, with just new ideas and creativity. And so we've been talking about that a little bit. What does that look like? I want to read a quick story, a historical little story real quick. Um, During his time as a rancher, Theodore Roosevelt and one of his cow punchers, I don't even know what that means, but cow punchers, lassoed a maverick steer, lit a fire, and prepared uh, prepared the branding irons. The part of the range they were on was claimed by Gregor Lang, one of Roosevelt's neighbors. According to the cattleman's rule, the steer therefore belonged to Lang. And his cowboy applied, as his cowboy applied the brand, Roosevelt said, wait, it should be Lang's brand. That's all right, boss, said the cowboy. But you're putting on my brand, Roosevelt said. That's right, said the man. Drop that iron, Roosevelt demanded, and get back to the ranch and get out. I do not need you anymore. A man who will steal, steal from me will, st- or will steal for me will steal from me. The story about Roosevelt is he, was, he finds this steer and he realizes I can't claim it because it's not on my land. And his worker says, don't worry about that. We'll make it yours. And he realizes if you're willing to steal for me, you'll steal from me. If that's in who you are, this idea of you're able to steal something, then I can't trust you. You don't have integrity. What I see in that passage or in that story is exactly what Proverbs chapter 2 is talking about. You can have wisdom, you can have wealth, you can have all these things that flow out of wisdom, but if you lack integrity, you can lose everything. If in that moment, Theodore Roosevelt would have lacked integrity, he could have lost things to this guy later on. Integrity protects wisdom. This morning, I want to look at how Integrity is really kind of like this, this small but yet crazy strong protector of wisdom. He's like the little bodyguard. He's like, if, there's, if you have your armor, like what is it called, a chink in the armor where something's missing, integrity is that that blocks that hole. So you cannot poke the armor with integrity there. You keep the well. That, that last line in Proverbs chapter 2 uh, said, 
verse 21, for the, for the upright will inhabit the land and those with integrity will remain in it. My desire for us is as we walk in wisdom is not that we just see God give us things and we begin to, as we were singing in that song, man, the Holy Spirit was here during worship this morning. And as we're singing about our Father, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, that is what we are created to do. We are created to bring the kingdom of God and make it manifest here. And my desire is to see as we live in wisdom, as we walk in wisdom, the kingdom of heaven crush Scranton. Just come in here, invade it, and to where we look around, we see this looks like heaven. This feels like heaven. This feels like the kingdom of God. The problem is, if we just live in wisdom and we see heaven come, but we don't have integrity in our hearts, we'll lose the kingdom of heaven. We'll lose all the possession that we are given. But Solomon, in his wisdom, was able to state, I know I need integrity if I'm going to keep this. Everything that I've gained, everything that I've earned, I have to have integrity to keep that. Make sense? Integrity is the protector of wisdom. I want to tell you a quick little funny story. Um, we, we talk about wisdom as something that um, you walk in favor with God and man. We've been talking about that over the last few weeks. When you walk in wisdom and you, when you walk in integrity, you keep favor with God and man. Wisdom gets you it, but integrity keeps you there. Make sense? And uh, I want to tell you a, a little story about me when I was a kid. Um, I, was, I was middle school. It was probably like 8th, ninth grade. And... Uh, before class, and this was this is Saturday. Saturday, I go with my friend Chris to Aladdin's Castle, which is an arcade. I don't even think they have arcades anymore. But I went to an arcade which, with big video games, basically. Okay, and you have to pay quarters to play these big video games. And so we're playing video games, and Chris brings a friend that he hasn't seen in years from elementary school. He invites him to come and join us. So I don't know this kid from anybody. And so we're playing this arcade together. You know, I'm, I'm just a button masher. That's what it's called. I just pound all the buttons hoping to win uh, and move my guy around. So I'm doing this. This is like eighth, ninth grade. And uh, all of a sudden, this kid starts calling me and the video game a word that I didn't know what it meant. I was a very naive child. I'm just being very honest with you. I didn't know much. I knew a lot of profanity just from other friends, but I didn't know this word. I'm not going to say it. Because it's a bad word, all right? Um, that would be inappropriate right now. Edited out of the podcast. But uh, so this mysterious word that's bad that I didn't know, I thought this guy just made it up. I literally thought, he's calling me some weird word and it's kind of annoying me. I'm like, this guy is really, really annoying. So I hear this like a hundred times as we're just smashing buttons at the arcade. Monday I go to school and I'm, I'm in study hall, Mr. Mish's study hall, and uh, I had built, a, over the last few years, I had built a really good relationship with Mr. Mish. Uh, Mr. Mish either hated you or he loved you. And he loved me. Like, we got along great. He's my favorite teacher to this date. Um, he was a funny old man with, like, a really bad Hitler mustache. But it was funny because he was, like, 70 years old. It was like, Mr. Mish, do you know what you look like? And he didn't care. Um, but uh, anyway, so he, we built this friendship. And I'm sitting there in, the, in study hall, and there's, like, eight of us. It was a private school. This was not a public school. So it were small classes, and I'm sitting there, and the one kid is just goofing off, being disruptive. He's, like, jumping around, and I'm trying to read a book. And my other friend, Chris, who went with me to the arcade, is sitting beside me. And uh, I look at Chris, like, kind of bump him. And then I call my friend Mark this word that I had thought was a nonsensical word, just kind of as an inside joke between me and Chris. All of a sudden, Mark stops what he's 
doing and runs because he knows me. He like starts pretending to punch me. And the whole rest of the study hall was like, did he just say what I thought he said? And Mr. Mish is like, Jesse. I'm like, what? What does that mean? I didn't know it was a real word. And Mark runs, like whispers in my ear what it meant. And I'm like, oh, I did not know. And Mr. Mish starts to burst out laughing. And he said, Jesse, you're the only person that I believe you had no clue what that word meant. <laughs> and then so we went on with the rest of the study hall. The reason I'm saying that is Mr. Mish knew my character. He knew that I don't curse at people. I don't call them bad names. He knows how, honestly, naive I was in life. And that gave me continued favor with the class and with Mr. Mish. Make sense? So instead of going to the principal's office or being suspended or something, whatever they do in Christian school, I got paddled in Christian school when I was in fourth grade, no, first grade, for saying, I'll just tell you, trick-or-treat some on my feet, give me something good to eat. If you don't, I don't care, I'll pull down your underwear. I got a paddle in, in school for that. It's true. It's true. And that, again, was something I had heard another kid say the weekend before. Um, so... Christian school, right? Uh, so I grew up, and instead of being in trouble, I received favor and everybody laughed and it wasn't a big deal. What I, and I know that's a silly example, but when you walk through your life with integrity, if something happens, people give you the benefit of the doubt. They know your character, and so you can remain in the land. You can remain in favor with God and man. Solomon Though, when we're looking at this idea of integrity walking through wisdom, if you look at the first nine chapters of of Proverbs, it's basically him appealing to his sons why wisdom is important and giving them good information. Then the rest of the book is like little nuggets. It's basically like fortune cookies, like snapshots of wisdom. Like the whole book is, here's a ton of wisdom. But these first nine chapters are very focused. And out of these first nine chapters, most... Almost all of three of them, so about a third of those nine chapters, focus specifically on one issue regarding integrity, and it's adultery and lust. Solomon realized an issue, and he just went straight for it. I want to read a portion of of chapter 5, if we can, of, of Proverbs together. Chapter 5, we're going to start here in, in verse 15. And he's talking about, okay, beware of the adulterous woman, beware of that voice that tries to woo your attention to somebody that you're not married to, to somebody other than your wife. And in verse 15, this is where he says, this is what he says, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own wells. Should your spring be catered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord. And he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for a lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. He says, listen, listen, my son, love your wife. Let 
all of your desires, all of your joy be found in only her. And don't even look at anybody else's temptation. Don't even let your eyes glance that way. Because the moment the world, the wicked, it says there at the end, the moment their ways begin to get into your mind, next thing you know, you're caught in a trap and the way is death. You're stuck in death. He says Solomon is able to point out that life and delight are in committed, God-given marriage. We see throughout Scripture that God made a man and a woman to be together, to be committed, and the two flesh become one. There's two become one. That's the way that life is supposed to flow in the relationships and the order that God has designed. Death comes, it says here at the end of that verse, when we don't have the discipline to be focused on loving our spouse and keeping our hearts pure. The sin of this world, let me try to put it in today's terms, right? The sin of this world would try to corrupt our way of thinking that we would demonize Christian marriage when we would be taught and persuaded that real life, real freedom comes in having all of our options available to us. Every woman or every man is an option. We hear always, I can't tell you how many men that I've seen get married in their early 20s and all their co-workers begin to harass them. Don't you want to go see what's out there? Don't you want to test drive it first? You know, you you hear all those phrases. Don't don't you want to just get to know each other a little bit better? See if you're compatible. See if you're compatible sexually. Then maybe you should really try different things. And then people would say that marriage is a trap. One of the, the phrases that I've heard a hundred times, right? And Well, not so much, too, not too much recently, but I hear it and it drives me nuts. A wife is referred to as the old ball and chain. Have you heard that? This idea that marriage traps you and she is like, you're just dragging through life. She's this ball and chain on your ankle. Like, I can't run. I can't have any fun. I'm married. Ugh. Like, like. That, that is what our society, the wicked, would try to say that marriage is this death trap. That we're just stuck. You're only going to have one sexual partner then. That's the way God created life to be. Everything else, sexual promiscuity and, and having your heart tied to different women, does ne- never, gives you, never gives you confidence. It never gives you joy. Often leads to disease. Always brings death. Either Spiritually or physically, it gives you death. And God's way says, if you would just focus your heart and your, and your desires on one woman and delight in her continually, you will experience joy and you will have integrity. That's what the, the scripture says. I'm, I'm being real this morning. But when we let the iniquities of the wicked ensnare us, and when we lack discipline to keep our minds on what God has designed to give life, then we're led astray and we, we lead to death. See, one, the funny thing about this as I was preparing this, I had to call Jared. I had, I had to call Pastor Jared and say, dude, help me out here. I don't know what to do. And let me explain why. This is written by who? Solomon, right? Solomon was a man who was not like in this naive world like I was where he didn't understand idolatry or lust or any of that. Solomon was birthed out of idolatry. His mom with Bathsheba, the one that David had slept with 
and then got killed her father or killed her husband. Like he was born because of a marriage that came out of idolatry. So he understood a lineage of idolatry. That was in his life. But also I would say, as Solomon's writing this, he is writing this because out of the, all the things he can think of to live a, life, a, a wise life and a prosperous life, it's also the one thing that grabs his heart. The one thing that he struggles with. Let's look at 1 Kings chapter 11. Chapter 11, verse 1. Now when King Solomon loved, now King Solomon loved many foreign women. <laughs> right there it is. He loved many foreign women. Along with the daughters of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sodian, and the Hittite women. From the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. So let me stop there real quick. It said he loved foreign women. He was married to Pharaoh's daughter and all these other ites. He liked a lot of the ites. All these foreign women, he loved them. Verse 3, he had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father, David his father. Solomon, the wisest man on earth ever, had 700 wives and 300 concubines. That is a lot of women. You might know some flirty, promiscuous guys. Solomon's the king of all of them. <laughs> That's a lot. I've never met any guy who really honestly claimed a thousand women. That's a lot of women. And they're all committed to him because they would die if they weren't. He was king. It's a lot. Big problem there, right? So I called Jared. I said, Jared, um, so Solomon's talking about living in integrity and not turning to women. What do I do with this? And uh, he said, let's look at the New Testament for that. We'll get to that in a minute. Let me point out two problems here. Two things in, in Solomon's heart. He doesn't, he, one is clearly obvious. That many women, that many women that he loves from different nations, Solomon is trapped by lust for sex. He loves sex and, and not the kind that God has created for him. So when he writes, let your eyes be focused only on your wife, he knows out of a place of brokenness that he has struggled with this. And he knows that wisdom says this is God's design, but everything that he's done is the opposite of it. The second thing, not just can we take out of these, this amount of wives that he, he liked sex, we can also see he had a deep lust for power. Part of in that culture, a lot of these, it wasn't like Solomon was on the prowl every night, okay? He wasn't like out courting women and saying, would you marry me? And so like every other week he's got a new marriage for a couple years. That's not what Solomon was doing. In that culture, women were property. That other kingdoms, other, other nations viewed women as property. So Pharaoh would exchange his daughter. Countries would give wives. And so Solomon, who's the wisest, the wealthiest, the most influential person, begins to keep acquiring wives. I'll take them on in. I'll take them on in. 
Solomon was full of lust for power. In that culture, the more women you had in their harem, the more powerful you were. The more esteemed you were in that culture. So instead of Solomon knowing the way of 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 God, knowing how God has designed marriage, instead of him sticking firm to like, no, I need one wife. This is what I'm called to be. I'm called to love the Lord my God. Why did he get wisdom? Because he loved God first. Above all things, God gave him wisdom. So instead of staying there, all of a sudden he began to taste power, to taste wealth, and to lust after sex and wealth. And he began to revert to the ways of other nations rather than being God's nation rather than the way that God has designed him to lead his kingdom. And so there was a lust of power there. This morning, I want to talk about how you and I, we've talked over the last few weeks, if we seek God with a pure heart, we love him, he gives us wisdom, and then when he gives us wisdom, we're creative, we're doing things with the creative ideas that God puts in our heart, and then we see increase in our influence and in the relationships that we have. We see increase, I'm not just saying prosperity finances but possibly and probably but it, we see increase in our life but if we want to stay in that land if we want to we want to keep the land and the and the gain that God's given us we have to learn to walk in integrity we have to keep our hearts pure we will see next week we'll talk about this next week how this issue here is the reason that all the inheritance all of the kingdom of Israel was broken and destroyed because he no longer loved God first, and he no longer walked in integrity. This morning, I want to talk about and look at some practical areas that you and I often struggle with integrity. Can I, can I do that? Is that okay? Everybody looks kind of like, oh boy, here it comes. So smile, it'll be all right. We'll end happy, I'm sure. First thing we can talk about is lust. I mean, it's, it's the most obvious one. And uh, let me talk to the guys for a second. Because girls pretend not to listen. I'm kidding. No, don't do that. Guys, we could talk all day about lust. Um, it's clearly the biggest problem for the wisest man on earth. And it is a problem in our country and in, a, in, a, in the human heart. But let me, let me challenge you. Let me challenge you this morning to ignore the voice of culture. To ignore the voice of physical desire. Of personal satisfaction. And let me challenge you to look at women married or unmarried, to look at women as God's craftsmanship, as daughters of the King, as sisters in Christ. Because when you're truly able to look at that other person, that woman, you can no longer objectify her. You can no longer look at porn as some random, like, sexual fling to make me feel good. You can no longer look at that girl as something that delights me. But you look at her as something that delights our Creator and our Father, who is good. And she is supposed to be pure and holy and not defiled by your gain and your, and your lust. Make sense? When you look at girls... Do you look at relationships as like, I need that because God created a deep sense of intimacy, two flesh becoming one, and I ultimately delight in him because she's created in his image and she brings out everything that I need and everything that he has designed for me? Do you view her like that or do you view her as often I've heard, especially in the high school and college dorm rooms, this idea of if I have more women, then I have more social status. If I'm that sexually awesome guy, <laughs> then all of a sudden I've got buddies. I'm that dude. I would say, guys, lust is, lust is only 
destroyable in our hearts when we love him every moment of our day and we can begin to view woman, women as God's craftsmanship, not our personal satisfaction factory. Make sense? Women, I would say, statistically, statistically, women have almost the exact same amount of problems with lust sexually as men do. Almost the exact same amount, um, statistically. I know we don't like to believe that because, you know, women are women and they're cute and they're all pure and holy. Yes, they're created to be that way. They're created to be that way. But I would also say that women have the same thing for men, where they desire sexual intimacy to gain control, to gain power, to gain status, to gain some kind of influence in the male-dominated world. It's the whole, if you got it, flaunt it thing, right? And the gospel says, don't be that woman. Don't be that one wooing every man in so that you can get gain, financial gain, some kind of an emotional gain makes you feel better, makes you feel stronger. I would say that we have to be men and women who live and view the opposite sex with integrity and not for our own delight and our own like personal pleasure. Let me ask you a quick question. Why do you wear the clothes that you wear? What's the motive of your heart? I'm not saying we need to all become Amish, wear black clothes and everybody look ugly. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying, though, is when you go to pick that, that dress out, out of your closet, and you put it on, do you think this will really turn his heads? This highlights certain areas or doesn't even cover certain areas. And they will stop and see me, and instantly I will have control in that moment. Instantly they will want me. Because if that is the attitude of your heart when you put on your clothes, then you are not living in integrity. You might think, well, I'm not sleeping around, I'm not doing it. But you're causing a heart of the other sex to stumble. Guys, you can be the same thing. I mean, hopefully you're not dressing skimpily. That, that, that's weird. Um, I think they do that a lot in Europe. But the men in the U.S. typically don't do that. But guys, we can do the same thing. We pick out the thing that makes us feel like women will like us the most. And I'm challenging the heart issue. It's not a clothing issue. It's a heart issue. What is in your heart when you begin to put clothes on, when you begin to have that conversation with the other person? Are you trying to control them and make them lust and desire you? Or are you just trying to get to know another person, another daughter or son in God? There's, it's all about heart position. You can say the same line to the opposite sex and one can be pure and one can be defiled. It's really a heart issue. I'm not telling you what to wear. I'm just saying when you, when you do these things, examine your heart. Whew, this is heavy. Everybody's like, ooh, I'm coming in black next week. That's not what I'm saying. Let's look at the other issues of, of integrity. Integrity with money. Do you try to find a way to cut corners financially all the time? I'm not saying about, you know, being smart with investments. I'm saying, are you that person, like, are you that person that's always looking to, to basically rob somebody? And you wouldn't call it that, but you're robbing people. And integrity with money, are you cutting or are you cheating the system? Are you looking for ways to rob so you fill your pockets a little bit bigger? Are you kind of lying about what you're selling? <laughs> Don't be that salesman, right? Like, don't, man, don't, don't be that one who robs people. Be honest. 
We all have jobs to do. I'm not talking about don't do your job and don't sell what you have to sell. sell but be honest. Be real about it. Is, is the extra buck worth your integrity? Or are people able to come back to you and say, I know they sold me a good product, and even if it breaks, I know their heart. I know their heart. I know how they live their life. That they're not trying to scheme me. They're, just, they're, not, they're not trying to rob me. They're living above reproach. The other thing I would say when it comes to integrity is our honesty. Man, how many, how, we can all be real where we told the little white lie to try to avoid the confrontation, right? It's not integrity, right? If it's not true, it's, it's a lie. If it's not real, it's false, you know? You know it, I mean, if, now, if your wife is a mess... It's, and you tell her she looks beautiful. I'm not going to argue on that. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. God has challenged me to live every day of my life. I cannot look at other people and say, how can I manipulate them to do what I want, even though it could be a, do, a good thing? But how do, I, how do I speak truth, even if it was going to hurt my agenda? Even if it's going to go against my pocket? My, my, my financial gain. How do I speak truth? In love, of course. But how do I speak honestly? I think so, so often we get caught in this middle ground. There's two people who are mad at each other and all of a sudden we're the friend and instead of confronting the issue, we play both sides of the field. Yeah, I think you're right. You should really, yeah, that, that's a good, yeah, I think you're right. Because really, so, we don't want to hurt anybody. I would say when you play that path there of least resistance, financially, sexually, or even in relationships, you're lacking the integrity to speak the truth. Instead, now you look like the enemy to both people. You look like an ally to each one, but yet at the same time, you're part of the problem. You're causing more division. Does that make sense? If you, I'm just saying this right now, so maybe this will like cut off communication with you from me. If you come to me with a problem about somebody else in the church, my first response is go talk to them. That's always going to be my first problem, my first response. Because integrity does not let me sit in a room and try to like fuel the fire of why you have a problem against them. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Let's just pretend that it doesn't. Like, let's just talk about it for a few weeks and a few months, and then nothing happens. Are you, am I off? You, am I confusing you guys? Am I scattered here? Am I, am I a little? Okay. All right. You get, you're getting me. Let me say this. Gossip destroys integrity. Gossip destroys it. And if you have found yourself in a position where you're in between gossip at work or at home or between family members, man, I've seen that a lot between family members, where you're this in-between person, gossip destroys your integrity because that other person on the other side always finds out, finds out what you said to help their cause. They always find out that you're playing the middle. And next thing you know, nobody trusts you. Gossip destroys integrity. So, okay, let's get back. Let's reel it back in here. You have Solomon who doesn't know what it means to walk in integrity, especially when it comes to power when it comes to sex. He doesn't know what this means. He knows it needs to happen. He's able to communicate with us and his sons what it should look like, but he's not able to actually do it. And so I had to ask Jared, how, how, how do I 
come to us, how do I look at our hearts and how do I look at this room and say, here's how we walk in integrity if Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, couldn't do it? Let's look at First, uh, Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Solomon did not live in a state under the new covenant where the Holy Spirit dwelled inside of him. He was under the old covenant where the Holy Spirit was something that fell down once in a while, would rest on people at moments. But he did not have the Holy Spirit dwelling in him, empowering him to live with integrity every moment. Solomon, with all his wisdom, still had that hole in his armor where integrity and lust and power poked in. But Paul tells us, if we live by the Spirit, it says, you will crucify the flesh and you will live with peace and patience and gentleness. You won't be held up by sexual, uh, uh, sexual promiscuity, sensuality, orgies, lust, uh, fits of anger, all this craziness. Basically, the opposite of integrity, whatever that word is. <laughs> all this brokenness, all this inner junk. If you walk by the Spirit, if you stay in the Spirit every moment and you keep your eyes on the Holy Spirit, the, the flesh is gone. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, which is a church that, the, the church in Corinth is a mess. Literally, it's a mess. They're new believers, but they're getting drunk off communion wine. They're have, they're, there's orgies. There's all kinds of craziness, Literally. It's a mess. Paul still loves them, though, and he encourages them. But he says this in, in chapter 6, verse 12. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for your body. God raised the Lord and will also raise us by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them a member of a prostitute? Never. Never. Or do you not know that the one who is joined to the prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Highlight that verse in your Bible. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you? whom you gave from God. You are not your own, for you have been bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. We have this hope, we have this assurance that we are one with God. We are one with him. 
Solomon didn't have that hope. He didn't have that assurance. And I'm not excusing his behavior. I'm saying we can, we can look at him and make him an excuse for our own behavior. But we can't when we see the gospel in the New Testament. We can never look at our brokenness and make an excuse. Well, I'm just, you know, it's just my weakness. The funny thing is, in Proverbs chapter, I think, 22, Solomon says, when you sit down with a king, when you sit down with a ruler at his table, hold a knife to your own throat, because you, basically because you know your own desires, you, you know your own lusts. So if you're there and he's got everything in front of you, he's flaunting wealth, women, prosperity, and you know one of those things is your weakness, hold that knife to your throat and don't, let you, don't, don't take a bite. Basically, he, Solomon was aware enough to, to say to his sons, protect yourself against the things that deceive you and, and mess you up. And here in the New Testament, we see that the Holy Spirit, living in the Holy Spirit, is that joy inside of us that keeps us from our weaknesses. You, this morning, I want to encourage you, you are not your weaknesses. You are not trapped by your weaknesses. You are not stuck there forever. You are not doomed to death and destruction because of your past areas of failing. I want to encourage you that, Kenny, if you can, and the worship team can come forward. I want to encourage you that you are not just more than capable to walk in integrity, but it is your inheritance to walk in integrity. Bob said to me this morning about this, he feels like we, we need to talk about what it means to be adopted, and I think he's right adopted you you are not your sin anymore you're not cut off from god but god has looked at us when we've received christ and adopted us so his inheritance everything that's his is ours god looks at you as completely his and part of that is filling you with the presence of the holy spirit does that make sense you're filled with the presence of the holy spirit I want to encourage us this morning as we, as we go into worship um, for a little bit. I want to encourage you. you. You all know what your area of weakness is. You know that thing that, la- that you lack integrity. Let me tell you a, a quick story, actually. I was doing some research, and I read this story about how um, uh, he wrote this book called Lyrics. Hammerstein? Hammerstein? Yes, that's it. Uh, Roger Hammerstein, the second, I think. He wrote this book called Lyrics, and he was talking about how he's flying over. He flew over um, the Statue of Liberty. And when he flew over the Statue of Liberty, there's a picture, actually, in one of the magazines they saw of an overhead shot of the Statue of Liberty. That's what it was, sorry. And he looks at this, and he's like, that's really peculiar that the creator of the Statue of Liberty created that statue, which is so high, in a generation that had no ability to get up that high and to look on the head of the statue. But yet there was such an incredible amount of detail on the, the top of the head. You guys know what I'm talking about? Where he sculpted it so well and designed it so well that it was completely decorated and perfect. He didn't just get to the top of the head and say, well, no one's going to see this, I'll let it go. But H- Hammerstein thought he created that in a time where he knew the only eyes that would see it would be seagulls. But yet he still designed it to his full vision. And what I'm saying is like, there are areas in our lives where we don't think anybody's ever going to see. But integrity in your heart is, I'm working on that area, even though nobody may ever see this. Nobody may ever know the intentions of my heart. 
or what's really going on inside, I'm allowing God to work on that so that I live in integrity and that nobody can ever expose any darkness there. Nobody can ever expose me as something other than what I proclaim. I want to encourage you as we, as we seek God, as we love Him, as we try to walk in wisdom that He gives us, as we're creative with the ideas and as we're changing the city, we're asking God's kingdom in Scranton now, as we're doing this, that we're also looking at our heart and saying, where am I walking in brokenness and not integrity? Where are the things inside that I got to fix? What are the conversations that I'm actually being fraudulent about? Man, nothing's more frustrating in the church than to see to have somebody pretend to have it all together and then you meet, you're with them for like a month and you realize, man, everything they said to me is a lie. They are a mess. Like, and I'm not, I'm not saying God, God fixes, God fixes messes. Fixes, fix, fixes, something like that. God puts it back together. That's good. The good news this morning is that his grace is bigger than your lack of integrity. It is. He's bigger than your past failures. I love that God's also a God that forgives. So even though we see in this passage that those who don't walk in integrity, they lose the inheritance, I want to encourage us that there's an inheritance waiting for us and God's gracious enough to forget about our past mistakes and still let us dwell in the land. I've got really big dreams for this church and for this city, and we haven't taken the land yet. But what I would desire more than anything, I, I'm already, I already know God's giving us the land, but I want to walk so much integrity, and as a church we live in integrity, that when we get the land, it's not just us who stay there, but it's our children's children that stay there. That we don't just dwell there, but we keep the land. We keep what God gives us. Make, are you, you understand? We'll talk about this next week, but it's really interesting. Solomon at the end of his life lives in so much brokenness and idolatry and adultery, both of those, that God says, I'm taking the land, I'm, di- I'm dividing the kingdom, but only because of your dad and his heart for me will you still live the rest of your days in the land. Afterwards, it's going to be broken up. I don't want that for my kids. I don't want to build something here in Scranton and see God's kingdom come now and me experience the fruit of it and then my kids experience darkness and brokenness. I love them too much. I want them to see something bigger and better than what I ever experienced here in this church. I want to walk in integrity and protect that for them, not just for myself. Can we stand? Let's worship him. Let's ask God to examine our hearts and realize that he's gracious enough He's gracious enough to let us stay in the land. (laughs) And he's gracious enough to give us the Holy Spirit in us.